Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast. And this is a really fun one because who would have thought three years ago, I think that's about what it was. Probably, yeah, about that. When you kind of cold called me off of LinkedIn, mm-hmm. I got to be on your podcast. Yep. And then a little over a year ago, you said, hey, I would love to do another podcast with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, as long as we can call it anything but typical, <laughs> and as long as we're dealing with a mutual love of both of us, which is, hey, let's feature the stories of entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, which that was pretty easy. So it's been a lot of fun. So with me today is co-founder of the world-famous Anything But Typical podcast, among other things, Ben McDonald. And so, Ben, we'll get into your story here soon, which will be a lot of fun. But you you know the drill. So you've seen this many times. You've heard it many times. You know what to expect. But here's the scenario. So as part of your, tr- your preparation for an Ironman, which is like massive... You are um, doing a heavy workout at uh, CrossFit Huntersville, and somebody sees you, and they're like, hey, that's Ben McDonald. And they don't realize that you are listening because they think that you got your headphones on, but you actually just turned it off, and you're listening to everything else. What is it that you would like them to be saying about you? Yeah, so if I'm at a CrossFit box, I'm probably suffering too much to hear anybody <laughs> speak as it is. But uh, but if it if the workout was over, then maybe I'd hear them. I would hope they'd say something along the lines of, "I'm leading my life in a a way that's a positive example for others." Mm. Because even if it's not through words, right? I think actions are obviously stronger. I want to be able to subconsciously give people permission to go after their version of success Mm. so just because they see me going after certain things it doesn't mean that that's Mm. what i want to be conveying to them so i'd rather just be the example to go after what their version of success is Mm. well that has been very true to my experience in knowing you well see if i can keep it going (laughs) it's all about the long distance part of the race and you'll understand that with the marathon as part of iron man like i've done marathons but not iron man so that's an amazing thing so here's what's interesting so there are a lot of interesting things about ben mcdonald you are the owner and ceo of a new entity well Mm -hmm. it's We've had it in existence, but it's been kind of quiet. Right. BGW Wealth, right? It becomes official now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the time this thing is broadcast, it, it will have been official. Mm-hmm. That's been a really fun experience, too. Now you're also owner of CrossFit Huntersville. Right. You're the co-host of the world-famous Anything But Typical podcast. According to us, anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I remember when we, we launched this, I thought, is anybody ever going to listen to this? I mean... <laughs> Great, it's out there, but will anybody come? And it's not like we're, um, you know, Grant Cardone is worried about us or anything like that. But we are gaining a a kind of a fun following of Mm -hmm. good entrepreneurs. And that's one of the reasons why I actually want to talk with you. Because you started your entrepreneurial journey early. And you're 19 years old, right? Right. Yep. So I want to hear a little bit more about that. 
take me through and take the listeners through that journey. What what made you as a 19-year-old decide, hey, I want to do something with this? And then how did it grow? What happened? Why the exit? Take us on that journey. Yeah, so 19 is obviously early for most people, right? But it was a little bit skewed for me because my from as early as I remember, my father ran his own business and my mm-hmm. grandfather had his own business. So I was around entrepreneurship and solopreneurship really for as long as I can remember. Mm. So it was a little bit more natural, I think, for me. And I was a sophomore in college and I was studying business and knew I wanted to start my own company, but didn't know what I wanted to do. And basketball was one of the three sports that I was playing in college. And that was, that was my favorite. That's the one I enjoyed the most. And, um, I put together kind of coming back from marketing class and business management and things like that. I'd come back from a class and started putting together a, a business plan of what I wanted a company or surrounding basketball and training or teams mm-hmm. or whatever um, to be. So yeah, I was a sophomore and started putting that together probably October, November. So started my, my sophomore year. And by January, that was, that was when I, I launched it. Um, and it was one of those where you think you know more than you actually know. Um, <laughs> Welcome to teenaging. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've ever grown out of that. I still think I may know a little bit more than actual. Yeah. But yeah, I was this 19-year-old kid that thought I knew a lot. And so I was doing this business completely on my own. I had no idea what I was doing. I was reaching out to, to parents and kids and coaches, trying to get them to be a part of an AAU program. and. Hmm starting the business was me going to Dick's Sporting Goods and buying six basketballs that I didn't take out of the box in case I had to return them because <laughs> I had no money because I was a 19-year-old college right. kid and spending I think it was a hundred dollars to rent a gym for a weekend from some church school and that was it I was $280 all in and 180 of it I could have gotten back if I returned the balls um, keep those boxes that was it <laughs> the receipts that was it so I literally opened this gym on a Saturday morning after reaching out to, to parents and coaches and all that, and I had no idea if anybody was going to show up. Hmm. And, and fortunately, enough showed up to where I was able to have, I don't remember, three or four travel teams that, that first spring. And then I was able to build off of that, right, take those teams and create summer camps and training sessions and stuff like that. So while I was still in undergrad, that's what it looked like. I, was, I had travel teams, and then I ran some stuff over the summer because I was also playing three sports and trying to get a degree and things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, it really didn't take off until I finished my undergrad because then it was one of those things where I wanted to make that my job. I didn't want to get a job and do this business on the side. Yeah. And so that's when I got into, I made it a corporation and started running uh, tournaments and started training D1 players and some pro guys and things like that and got it to the point where that was the main thing I was doing, but I had other stuff too. I was coaching at a high school. I was an athletic director at a high school for a year. I was doing my master's for a year and a half there. So I had a few things up in the air, <laughs> but the main thing was growing this business. And so now I'm this 21 year old that has never managed anybody before. And all of a sudden I have employees and I have interns and I have people coming from a different country to play in my tournament that I've never run before. And it was just learn as you go, right? It, make mistakes and you figure it out and you apologize and go forward. And that's, that's kind of how the start of my journey began. It was just trial by fire. So 
the impetus of starting it, so you had uh, a lineage of your father and grandfather who were entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. so it was in your blood, right? Right. I mean, right. you couldn't help yourself. Was this one of those deals where you had the desire and like, or did you see a need and it fit a desire? So I, I had the desire to start the business, but didn't know what it would look like. The need came from the fact that I grew up an hour away from where I was going to school and there were no good programs around. So I knew there was a need in the market and that, that dictated the business plan, right? So cool. I had travel teams and tournaments and things like that and camps because there was nothing good in that area at the time. So was this part of a, an assignment in one of your classes no. or <laughs> no it was it was me and a couple of buddies that were sitting around a dorm room one night and i threw the idea about about starting a business and mm. they loved the idea and then a week in i'm the only one that's a part of it but <laughs> it started as just a few of us hanging out saying oh this would be really cool and they were teammates so they were into basketball so yeah um yeah that's really it, it was just i knew i wanted to start a business i threw out this idea and they liked it and then i ran with it and they they petered off yeah, that's an interesting thing. There's a difference between conviction and preference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and it right. sounds like everybody had a preference, but conviction it stays in the ring when things mm -hmm. get tough. Yep. So, uh, and you were the one that was willing to melt some plastic with some basketball purchases. <laughs> yeah, not right? a lot of plastic. <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> uh, that's really good. So, um, as you made that transition from graduating college, you've got this entity that's been growing, you want to, you don't want to go work for somebody at this moment, so I want to grow this thing, so I'll, you're all in, you're figuring it out, like every other entrepreneur that I know, mm -hmm. I don't know anybody that's like, oh yeah, I got my MBA, I got it all figured out, and you know, here's the lockstep business plan, I've just, I don't know anybody like right. that. They may be out there, but I don't know anybody like that. Um, so. Walk us through um, some of the most difficult parts of that journey and that what, then what took you to the point of exit? So I'd say the most difficult aspects was quickly after I, I graduated and really wanted to make this my thing and didn't want to go back home and live with the parents or anything like that. I, was, yeah. I wanted to be in, independent. And, and there was a point where I had to swallow my pride and go get a part-time retail job because it was in between programs and I hadn't gotten a tournament yet and things like that. And it was one of those where I was swallowing my pride one way or another. I was either going home to live in my parents' <laughs> basement or I was going to, to find another source of income. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't get another full-time job because of my master's and coaching at the school and all that. So, so yeah, so I had to go get a part-time job and it was just one of those where it's Put your ego in check, understand what you're going for, suck it up for a few months while you focus on the one thing that's your main thing. That was, that was definitely difficult because I had had relative success pretty early. So yeah. to, to be put in that point and to be on an island by myself, right? I didn't have partners or, mm -hmm. or anybody like that running the company with me. So to be on that island by myself, going through that kind of circle mm -hmm. of struggle, um, that was that was definitely a difficult aspect where easily could have quit it, got yeah. a job somewhere, made some money, and never gone into entrepreneurship again. So yeah. that was pivotal. How um, long were you in that period of 
you know, un, unwelcomed, unintended transition to where then it became self-sustaining. Walk us through that. Some of those challenges as you get to ceilings of complexity where you're growing it. Hey, I've never had employees now, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then take us to the exit. Yeah. So that period was probably five or six months. And typically, and this is with a lot of stuff, right? With stock market, with internal struggles, anything where you you have your worst times and they're followed by the best times. Mm-hmm. And so I had that period, five or six months, and then I ran my first tournament. And I made more money in that one weekend than I'd ever made in my entire life. <laughs> and And it was... It was mind blowing. It was, it's nothing astronomical, but at the time it was huge for me. Right. And and so that was that was the the turning point as far as having belief again of hey I can I can do this mm. thing. And and that also made the company a lot more profitable because all of a sudden when you start running events it's a big difference than running teams. Yeah. So yeah, that probably was five or six months. And then I ran that tournament and, and had that success. And leading up to the exit after that it was probably a year after i was able to get out of that and everything was rolling at that point um but we wanted to move south and it was somewhere go somewhere in the southeast where there's nicer weather and the idea was i could either run a business from 12 hours away hire people put them in place and try and control it from a distance or Mm. i i exit and i move on to the next thing yeah. And and I really had no desire to keep going back up to New York and trying to control what the quality is up there when I'm not a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so decided pursuing the exit was the best way to go. So I was 20, 23 or 24. I was 24 when the exit happened. So I was either 23 or 24 when I decided to, to look into it. And I called two competitors. And there's a lot of lessons in this of what not to do, but <laughs> yeah, I called two competitors that I, they both ran really good businesses and thought they may be interested in expanding a little bit more. The first one didn't answer. I didn't leave a message. Second one answered and I sold to him. Like it was interesting. That was it. I months after the first one called me and was like, why didn't you talk to me about it? I would have loved to buy it. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. literally just called two people that I thought would be interested and didn't value the company correctly, rushed into it because I wanted to move south, all that. So, so certainly mm-hmm. didn't do it the right way, but had fortunately at least built enough equity in the brand that I was able to able to have um, have some people interested in buying it and getting a, getting a couple checks as a 24 year old for something you started when you're a sophomore in college was it was a neat feeling. That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I picked up the second check. They it was two two payments. Um, picked up the second check as I'm literally driving to North Carolina. So I stopped in Scranton, Pennsylvania at this guy's house, picked up the second check. My car was packed. Um, I remember (laughs) having a basketball in the front seat and he made a comment about that, but it was, yeah, driving to North Carolina, picking up the second check and then driving the rest of the way to Charlotte and starting the rest of my life. Wow. Well, yeah, if you have a competitive situation in a strategic purchase, which is what that was, right. uh, that would have been advantageous for you. <laughs> yeah. But you were anxious to run to something. So That's you know it. what? You were running to something, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a, a great move. Um, so 
I understand your movement to Charlotte and having lived in the great white north of Cleveland, I understand because if you look outside, <laughs> we have gray skies right. and that's all, all we saw up there for about seven months out of the year, yeah. six if you're a lucky. Uh, <laughs> so um, I get it. So you, you're running to a location, mm-hmm. more sunshine, you know, lower taxes <laughs> and right. all those things yep. too, which I understand. Walk me through that transition. You'd been a coach, you had your MBA, you'd had a successful exit. What took you into financial services? So when I moved down, I actually didn't get right into it. Um, I, I took the money from selling the business and started investing because I was 24, right? If it was, right. In my, if it was in my bank account, I was gonna spend it. Right. So I put it online and started investing on my own because I figured it would be a good thing to learn. And then at the same time was coaching college basketball. Mm. Seemed like a natural transition, right? You're running a basketball business, you right. sell that, you come down to basketball country and start coaching at college. And quickly realized that wasn't the lifestyle I wanted. You're working 80, mm-hmm. 90 hours a week. My first job in college was 90 hours a week for $10,000 annual. Oh, and I got meals at the, at the cafeteria, so. <laughs> what um, year was this? It was, I was 24. I, it was, no, but what year? Oh, um, 2013. Okay. Yeah. Because my first job out of college was 10500 a year, but that was in 1983. And a little inflation <laughs> happened <laughs> 30 years later, 40 or whatever. Um, yeah, 30 years later, a little bit has, uh, a little bit has changed. 10000 doesn't go quite as far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was one of those where you just take whatever job you can get to get experience and move up the ladder. Right. And we were talking about starting a family at the time, and I didn't want to drag a young family from place to place. I had, uh, when we were talking about starting a family, um, I had an interview for a head coaching job up in Maryland at a junior college, a division one assistant job over in Tennessee. And I remember driving back from Chesapeake, Maryland, um, all by myself because I couldn't afford to fly. So I'm driving and realizing that that was not the way I wanted to go. Yeah. And so at that same time, I'd now been investing for a couple of years was, good at it enjoyed it and i think most importantly i saw the power that that it could um Mm. have on people's lives and the impact that it could have and so decided i wanted to to try and pivot my career and figured worst case scenario i get licensed and learn about this industry and say i hated it i mean Mm -hmm. i was now a 26 year old that had infinitely more knowledge about investing so even the worst case scenario was was pretty solid and then i could always just go get some job in Charlotte, right? So, right. so it was pretty low risk where you could go get experience, get licensed, and if I didn't like it, then I can always change again. Yeah. Um, but it was something that kept us in Charlotte, and it was a place that I, my family had all moved down at the time, like siblings mm-hmm. and all that, and so we wanted to stay in the area, so I needed a job or a career where I could stay in one place. Yeah. And so that was kind of how I inadvertently backed into the financial services, wealth management type world. Interesting. So um, did you join a firm right away then? I did. So I had gotten offers from a few. I knew I wanted to go with a big one because I hadn't been in the industry. So I wanted to go where there was training and support and things like that. So um, got offers from a a few of the big firms and uh, went with one that I could have the autonomy to run my own company and have my own office yeah. while still getting the support of a big organization. And that was that was perfect because being a business owner, I needed needed some autonomy. 
uh, versus being some low grunt guy on the bottom of a team right. who's just cold calling and passing up to a top advisor. I, I would not have done well with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I joined a big firm. I started with Edward Jones uh, and was with them for about a year until they asked me to take over an office up in Huntersville. Somebody had gotten fired, there were compliance issues. And I'd been doing well, so they asked me to take that over. So I took that, yeah, I think a year, year and a half into it, took that office over and had to turn it around, um, which was a completely different experience. But had I not come into the industry with a business background, mm -hmm. that scenario would have been horrifying. Um, so I, I took that over and, and had to do a, a turnaround there, had to hire a couple people to, to get in there and things like that. So um, I was able to do that and then stay there until now we're sitting here talking about, <laughs> about to talk about BGW wealth, right? Yeah. That's, the, that's the next step in this journey. So you and I also have turnarounds in our business, or in our um, DNA. Um, I was 28 and I think you were probably, were you 28 when mm -hmm. you did your turnaround too? I, yeah, it must have been. Interesting. Yeah. Neither one of us had ever done that before. <laughs> we didn't know what we were again, doing. Did again, we? trial by fire. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you about that experience before we move on mm -hmm. because um, you've got the support of a bigger organization, but you got all eyes looking at you and you got messes you got to clean up, mm -hmm. right? So talk about, you know, what you can talk about that um, would be some applicable lessons learned that could apply to somebody else that might be in the same si yeah. situation. So the biggest thing that I learned really quickly was it had nothing to do with investments. Um, not, I'm not saying the issues didn't, there were a lot of things about sure. that that were, but nobody would buy into me doing this turnaround, no clients or anything like that would buy into us turning their situation around and them sticking with me without the trust in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And and I learned that really quickly because again, I'm this young, naive kid, I guess not that young at 28, but still, yeah. um, I'd never been in this scenario. So I dove into what I knew well, let's, let's look at your investments, let's look at your financial plan, let's, let's try and clean up the issues that are there. But I was, I was putting the cart before the horse and doing what needed to be done um, without them being ready for it. Mm. And so I had to, I saw that pretty quickly and had to back off and then focus entirely on the, the hand-holding, the trust building, the relationship aspect of it, and really communicating in a way where they understood what was going on, where we were, where I had come from, and then from there, mm -hmm. there's the empowerment aspect and getting them to buy in. And then I was able to do what I actually was there to do, right? Yeah. Of cleaning up the office, cleaning up their situations, things like that, getting rid of any compliance issues, getting people's taxes fixed because stuff had been done wrong the year before, a whole bunch of issues. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I tried doing all that stuff prior to the relationship and people just kind of looked at me like, who the hell are you? Right. So, so yeah, I, I learned that pretty quickly of, okay, take the foot off the gas, focus on what's most important, and then we can, then we can get everything cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because if you think about it, at least in my experience, every company has this challenge, communication, but relationships trump everything else. Yep. Uh, without that, 
you're just going to burn and churn through people, mm -hmm. resources, all, all kinds of things. It's really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, right. That, that's a lesson that goes throughout any industry, right? Yeah, it, it has, it's universal. It doesn't matter. If you're not focusing on taking care of people, your employees, if you're not your, your clients, your customers, whatever the situation is, it really doesn't matter how good you are at what your craft is, you're always going to be behind if you don't focus on that first. Yeah. Yeah, th that saying of people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, yeah. Powerful and universal truth, but, you know, I didn't have that situation in my first turnaround because everybody quit except for me and my partner <laughs> uh, within six weeks when we had to take pay cuts to keep the doors open. You just didn't have people to build trust <laughs> <No>. with. But... <laughs> But what was interesting is the key to that turnaround was we weren't acquiring new clients. We were building trust with existing clients mm -hmm. and growing those. Yeah. And then the successes beget successes, yep. which was really cool. But it still goes back down to that bedrock thing, which is go serve people, build trust honestly. Um, there are people that are pretty good at trying to build fake trust, but you can see right. through the veneer pretty quickly. Yep. Um, that, that's really good. So let's talk a little bit more about, you know, your why, as Simon Sinek would say, you know, um, what, what drives you, Ben? Um, so a lot of this has to do with the industry that I backed into, but I think... I think there's a lot of things that kind of led to it more than I, I than I imagined. I vividly remember um, one of my, my early memories. I was standing on the deck with my family while my dad was next to our van pleading with the uh, um, tow truck driver to not repo our van. Wow. It's our only vehicle. They can't make the payment. They've missed, I, I have no idea, months of it. And as a kid, you're oblivious to any of that until all of a sudden you see it and then it's real. And then you see your parents mm. breaking down, trying to scramble, trying to figure out how they're going to fix this situation that they got into. Um, and so that, that memory, I think, has stuck with me a lot more than what I expected or even realized over the years. And now as I start to become a little bit more self-aware, I, I kind of realize where things have come from because so much of my why is how do I help people that are less fortunate? Um, mm. I mean, first off, check a couple boxes. I'm a white male in the United States of America, right? Like I'm way ahead of vast majority of the world as far as just where my starting point is. Right. And, and I'm, I recognize that. And I know that there's a lot of um, things that I get to start off with before anybody else does. And, and I want to use where I am and what I can do because I can run businesses, I can build things, I, mm -hmm. I've had some success with what I do. I, I want to use that as platforms to build up um, the less fortunate yeah. and, and be able to help them out of whatever scenario they're in. So this may be a little bit of a rabbit trail, so you maybe have That's to fine. pull me That's back. That's fine. Go for it. But um, you know, with our burgeoning anything but typical <laughs> podcast right. audience, which is growing, but it's not huge by any means. 
Um, you and I have talked about this notion. One, we have this passion for business owners, right? Mm -hmm. And businesses, privately held businesses. Um, they are ripple makers. They can be either positive or negative ripples, you know, mm -hmm. depending on how they're running it, depending on who they are. We're trying to feature the positive ones because we want to be inspirational for other people that are willing to do yeah. it. And it takes a special breed and a special, you know, gumption, I guess, to be able to, you know, risk so much with no certainty on the people see the successes of the Grant Cardones and whatever yeah. and they're like, oh that's how it is. Well that they, they miss the whole behind the scenes terrifying things or the repo experience that is so vivid in your mind. Um, but that is a heartbeat that you and I both share. Yeah. But what you've also talked about is the less fortunate because there are those as well um, that haven't had a break or that have just you know hit hard times, haven't been able to get up. And, and one of the things that you and I've talked about is if we ever monetize this thing, which you know we're, we were both surprised that we had any listeners <laughs> and we continue <laughs> to get some, some more, but if this ever gets to where it takes off, we want to give a, a you know, at least 10% away to uh, entrepreneurial organizations or those that are dealing with up, upward mobility and, right. and helping and making a difference. Mm -hmm. um, so talk about that, um, those two things, because those are two whys in, mm -hmm. in, in, in your heart. Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I think there's... There is, and there definitely should be more, a responsibility um, with businesses and business owners. Um, you're creating this entity that you can use to be selfish or be unselfish. And every every avenue that I that I'm going to go down forward, a portion of it will be doing something to build up the less fortunate. Right. So yeah. so we've talked about what to do with uh, with anything but typical with BGW wealth I know we'll dive yeah. later into it but but 50% of all the all of the profits from my portion of the company are going to go to supporting um, generational poverty well supporting people getting out of generational poverty right. um, but I just I view businesses as a vehicle for change and, and I, th I know that a lot of people don't, um, but we've we've talked to some people on this show, right? Like with uh, the company Bella Tuna yeah. and, and Michelle. B Corporations. Yeah, yeah Michelle's phenomenal. Um, and there's we've definitely talked to, to people that are a little bit more um, steering in that direction mm -hmm. of using businesses for the greater good. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, I don't know, I, I think that that's how it goes hand in hand for me is I've I've realized that what I'm good at is businesses and problem solving in companies and things like that. Um, I'm not, I'm not the the bleeding heart nonprofit type person. It just doesn't right. fit who I am. But that doesn't mean that I can't positively impact others. Right. So I just need to find my lane, which happens to be businesses, and figure out how to make them become the vehicles for change. Yeah. Yeah. It does get into that you can. Uh, feed a man a meal right but or yep. you can teach a man to fish yeah. and it, you know which I I completely subscribe to that and um, 
you know, I've had more time you know, on the water than you have, but I've seen and I've come to grips with that for me too, because I felt early on like, you know, I should be doing something in a nonprofit the mm -hmm. whole time or, you know, as a drummer for a church. Well, man, if I'm really going to make a difference, that's where I should be. And I bucked it early on, but I realized, man, this is actually... I could probably have more impact yeah. here because if you look at businesses, I mean, look at BGW. I mean, I think we're now 76 people. Wow. Yep. And when Adam started this thing in 2006, I believe, when he left Ernst & Young or EY, it was him, him and his brother-in-law, mm -hmm. right? And, and now um, we have the ability to impact. So that's 76 families. You got it. Yeah. And the interesting thing is with you, you are the 10th person that has either started, run, or turned around a company at, at BGW. Really? Isn't that interesting? It is. So any listeners out there, if you know of any other CPA firm that's 76 people or above that have that many <laughs> people who have started, run, or turned around a, a business, wow. I want to know them because it's very atypical. Mm -hmm. No pun intended, but it is very atypical in our industry where it's uh, a lower risk profile, typically, yeah. of CPAs. They, you know, kind of start here and they kind of sift and sort through the top or they've left and they've started their small firm or whatever. But yep. um, it does have an impact. And, and um, as the leaders go, so does the rest of the organization, I believe. So yep. um, anyway, I, I think that's really cool. So. You know, let's talk a little bit more because you and I have known each other from the... I do want to address this because one of the things that I thought was really interesting, because I also had my securities licenses as well, and that's no small putt, getting the 7, 63, now 65, 66, etc. That's no small putt. Um, but when you went from, uh, first of all, getting those licenses, but then moving into okay now you're part of a big firm you've got an entrepreneurial bent to you what prompted you to be able to say i'm going to do a podcast because there's so many regulations in this yeah. world and especially in the financial services world what drew you to doing that and how were you able to avoid you know somebody big brother going, no, you can't do that, or you've got to have compliance right. sign off on this. So actually our compliance department kicked um, kicked me out of our social media I, where I couldn't post anything from the company or anything financially related because they didn't want the correlation with the uh, the podcast. I don't oh. know if I'd ever told you that. But uh, but yeah, there's I mean, ton of hoops to jump through. But I, I knew that I enjoyed creating content. I knew that I loved having interesting conversations. And... Um, I was an avid podcast listener. So it was kind of the same thing with the business, the same thing with the financial planning. It's like, all right, I'm going to try this. And if I don't like it or if it doesn't work out, then I just stop doing it. Right. Mm. I think I, I'm pretty big, which I'm realizing this as we're talking. I'm pretty big on taking the small bets. Like you try something and if it doesn't work, it's okay. You just yeah. pivot. Um, so I had to jump through some hoops and figure out what I could talk about, what I couldn't talk about, things like that, when I had to report it as an outside activity, all the stuff nobody listening cares right. about. <laughs> um, but finally got it to where I could, I could run this podcast. 
and had it to where I was reaching out to the likes of you, the people who I was interested in having a conversation with. Um, something had caught my eye from something they posted or about their background or whatever it happened to be. And I viewed starting the podcast as it doesn't matter if zero people listen, I get to be selfish and have an hour long conversation with somebody who I'm extremely intrigued by. Mm. And obviously from there, and, and that's a Tim Ferriss thing. He runs a, a huge yeah. podcast and he, he had said that, which was I heard it right at the beginning of me running this podcast of, or the first podcast of, he knew at least there'd be an audience of one because he's interested in the answers for the questions he's asking. And he's like, and if there's an audience for one, there are probably other people that are interested in what I am interested in also. And so that's how I approached it was I'm going to ask questions I'm interested in. I'm going to talk to people I'm interested in. And there's probably some other people who are like me and are interested in that too. So that was the start of the creation of content. You know, that's also very interesting because I know of some people that, hey, let's go into doing a podcast because that's going to be a money-making or a, a lead generation tool, mm -hmm. right? But that was never my experience with you. We never even talked about no. that. You never pitched me on, hey, you know, I need to talk to you about a financial plan or what are you doing about your investments? You never ever talked about that and it's probably good because I wasn't a, a good pro <laughs> prospect at this point after some of the things we went through in 09 and 10, but nonetheless, um, but we built a relationship and I actually got to know you. And so when you said, hey, let's, would you consider doing this with me? Well, that was not even a second thought. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'd, I'd. So to that point, that. I've yeah. actually gotten millions of dollars worth of business without asking one time from any of my guests because that wasn't the point. The point was the building relationships with. Yeah. people I'm interested in, people that are doing things the right way. Yeah. And from there, you build a stronger circle and a better network and things like that. And so just naturally, that ended up leading to business. Some people who were podcast guests ended up becoming clients. Other people knew of a situation where a buddy of theirs or a family member of theirs or whatever needed some help and referred that person to me. Um, I had one scenario where somebody that listened and started following me on LinkedIn because they heard the podcast, ended up becoming a client. Hmm. And I asked zero times f from anybody to, to become a client or to refer somebody because that's I, it, that would have been a bait and switch, right? I right. ask you to come on and be a guest on the podcast right. and then ask you to be a financial planning client. I mean, that does, that's not authentic. <laughs> Sounds like timeshares. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, so that's not the business I'm in. Um, it, it was completely focused on building the relationships, the network, appreciating people that are willing to give their time to, to come on the, the show. And then anything that came from it, from a business standpoint, was just bonus. Yeah, very cool. Love it. So let's talk about what became, so you, you, you've, had a, you've built a comfortable lifestyle in spite of like now you also own a CrossFit gym too. Yeah, you know, just, <laughs> just one more thing in the portfolio. So, um, which that's cool probably because you are a CrossFitter and probably because you have interest in that as well, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. um, but what made um, you decide, you know, I really want to do something either on my own 
and or join somebody like BGW where we've got a very fledgling uh, practice, quite frankly, that needs more robust, you know, like I, I know I always wanted when I came in, I saw what BGW was doing, having been in the private equity world, having been in the security side of things, transparency is often lacking in that world mm-hmm. and which I didn't like at all. Um, but I'm like, if we're going to do it, let's build best of class. Let's build transparency. Let's build where we are solution neutral, not, oh, well, we're a wirehouse and we got to sell you these products. You got it. Um, talk to me about that inflection point in your career. And yeah. Um, so nothing that I say is going to be a knock on that the company that I was with because yeah. I still think that if I were to stay with a large company, that would be the place to be. There's a lot of things that are done that are done right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, being the entrepreneurial mindset, I saw there were things I wanted to do, ways that I wanted to be able to um, serve clients, and then some things that happened within the company mm. that I didn't agree with. That that made me think a little bit harder about um, what would be the right scenario for me to to go off and change firms or start my own company or whatever that ended up looking like, and and it wasn't it wasn't one thing. I think it was the like the straw that broke the camel's back, where there were just lots of little things that added up over time, and sure. a client would complain about something that didn't get rectified that should have or something. F- was not done correctly or, or um, my office administrator didn't get taken care of the way that she should have or something like that. Things that I just didn't agree with. And that were outside of your control. Correct. And I think that was the hardest part is I'm really big on doing things the right way, yeah. even if that means your profit is slightly less. Sure. Right. I'm not going to be the penny wise pound foolish. Um, I want to do things the right way. And if that means that it takes longer to grow or that I'm less profitable in a quarter or something like that, so be it. That's fine. Right. Because I know in the long run, it'll be better, right? You do things the right way. Everything else is going to take care of itself. So I had a couple other opportunities that just weren't the right fit for one reason mm-hmm. or another. It either wasn't the right stability for myself or my family, or it wasn't going to improve the client situation where I couldn't serve them any better, whatever the rate yeah. was. And then you started orchestrating and bringing up the idea <laughs> of me bringing this, uh, or me steering the the ship that's BGW Wealth, right? Which is kind yeah. of, like you said, it's just, it's out at sea floating right now. It, it doesn't have somebody steering it, it doesn't have a direction. Um, and you brought it. You brought the idea up first, and it it needed to check, just like all the others, needed to check all the boxes. Mm. Needed to provide stability and upside for myself and my family. Needed to be a dramatically better experience for my clients. How I could serve them, what their costs are, the transparency of it, all those things. Right. It needed to be a big difference. Um, couldn't just be nominal. Uh, and then. I've always done everything on my own and I Mm. needed my next venture to be with and surrounded by good people doing things the right way Mm. that I can learn from and they can learn from me and together we can build something greater than me doing something on my own. And the more we talked about BGW Wealth and 
you connecting me with Adam and us having conversations and all the other people that I've talked with since it's we worked it out in a way to where it by far checks all of those boxes and mm. it became a no-brainer for the company for BGW CPA and also for myself as an individual yeah it's interesting because you know um, we don't even talk about BGW wealth much because um, you know we've got a partner that started a, a while ago and I think it was in response primarily because um, in the clientele that we serve business owners mm -hmm. privately held businesses um, one thing about Charlotte North Carolina is that it's like um, an anthill with lots of financial advisor ants crawling all over the hill yep. like <laughs> you could throw a stone and hit either a financial advisor or an insured salesperson, oh, yeah. right? Yep. <laughs> Here in Charlotte, North Carolina, or banker, um, which is fine, but most of those financial advisors are not going to give a business owner the time of day because they have no liquidity. Right. They're pouring all their money. They may be balance sheet rich, but cash poor. Mm -hmm. And you and I have both experienced that. Yep. <laughs> you know, we've both, you know, uh, made sure that we're making payroll and we're cutting ourselves back so that we can make payroll and yeah. so that's just a different thing but then all of a sudden financial advisors start getting wind of an exit and all of a sudden you've got a whole lot of best friends yeah yep um and so and the way that financial advisors are compensated it's very much eat what you kill you yep. know and so it a lot of them would die on the vine if they were just building these long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, that is who we serve. We serve those kind of folks, and I think that was the impetus of starting this, which was, hey, you know, I trust you guys. You, we've been part of their business advisory team for a long time. Now what do I do? Yeah. And the tax component of it has a huge part of because you could have this big windfall and then all of a sudden if you're not structured properly um, you know Uncle Sam gets a lot more than you wanted them to have mm -hmm. so um, I think that's really cool and one of the things that I'm really excited about having you on board for, one is I get to spend a little more time with you than <laughs> even doing this podcast um, but secondly, man, I, I'm with you. I'm a team guy. I love having people around me that have a common heartbeat serving a common audience that we yeah. are genuinely passionate about and love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, think about it. So if, if my why and my goal is having a greater impact, right? Yeah. And I were to go do something on my own, that's extremely limited in the number of people that I can impact. Yeah. But if all of a sudden you we're creating this entity that can multiply and grow exponentially now that means our impact can grow exponentially too yeah and, and that's a big motivation for me is how how do i put myself in that scenario where it's not just me right i'm surrounded by by yeah. people that can help make this grow and now instead of us impacting hundreds of families we're impacting thousands of families yeah yeah i love it and, and you and i've both seen hey we each bring a little bit of spice different spice mm -hmm. to the the broth which is really fun yeah. um, so you've talked about some of the check boxes yeah um, as you're thinking about you know launching on this next part of the journey for you what 
what gets you most fired up about thinking about that? So beyond the, the selfish of me just loving to run businesses, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And you're going to give, be given that autonomy. I mean, for sure. Yeah. You know, our partner that started this is getting ready to retire, and we needed somebody that had the passion to take a good foundation and really mm-hmm. build it, you know, in a far more robust manner. That had the attention, and that is the the primary thing versus oh, by the way, we've got a need to serve some people, so we'll go ahead and try to answer it while we're doing all this other thing. I mean, he's a brilliant tax strategist, right. so, but he was, you know, had, had, had to uh, deal with a number of yeah. uh, things. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. So <clears throat> I think there's, there are three things that really stand out for me about what we're about to do. Because you had mentioned you can throw a stone and hit a financial advisor, right? And that's yeah. very true, especially here in Charlotte. Um, but really it's countrywide, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, and they're all doing the same things, right? You can go buy Apple stock right. with anybody or on your own. So right. what the product is in a lot of people's minds is a commodity. Um, and so how do you differentiate yourself? And I think the culture and the environment at BGW, me now having equity, right? Being an owner versus just being an employee. Yeah. Um, it's going to lead to three things. So. One is the partnership with a CPA firm takes mm-hmm. it from people just being an advisor on investments to all of a sudden now we're doing planning. Yeah. Right? You can bring CPAs in to take a look at that stuff and you can do advanced tax strategies and things like that without being a CPA yourself or, yeah. or going and doing all the research or trying to connect with one CPA someplace and another one for another client. It becomes a mess and it's, it's never mm-hmm. organized. I think that partnership with the CPA firm, that alignment, is going to make the experience for clients infinitely better. So I'm yeah. extremely excited about that differentiator. Um, second one is the the impact, right? The fact that, that what I had alluded to earlier, 50% of the profits from from my portion of the company going to, to impact uh, people that are in generational poverty, that's been something on my mind for years. And to be in a spot now where I can do that I'm, I'm extremely excited about. Yeah. And then the third um, is the way that we can bring people in. So you and I have talked a lot about this of um, not overloading who, how many people you're serving because if you do, right. then you're really not serving anybody. Right. Right. And so the model that I'm coming from is you get lots of people and you serve as many of them as you can as well as you can. Right. And so at one point, in the last situation, I trimmed it down, but at one point, I when I took that office over, so I had no control of what I was taking over, it was like 450 households of people, mm-hmm. which is an insane number. You can't right. serve 450 households because they all have multiple goals and they have things going on. Um, so the number of people and how we bring people on is going to be a lot better, right, to where we're only being, we're only bringing six people on per quarter, per, per advisor, obviously, right? Right. Um, and that allows us to get people really set up the right way, the onboarding, the, the questions, the time spent with clients. It's putting them first. Could I make and could the company make a little bit more money if we just took on as many people as possible? Sure, sure right? Of course. But us doing this in a way to where we're purposely being more restrictive or more exclusive so we can give the people we're serving a better experience. Yeah. Um, 
for me, that's that's huge. I think that's doing things the right way. It's a massive differentiator from the industry. Um, I don't know anybody that gives away half their profits or anybody that right. restricts how many people they're bringing on. So so those three things are, are huge for me of the way we're going to build this because we're going to do it right. Yeah, you know, another point is I know with BGW and I know with you and what you've been doing, our focus is on privately held businesses and their owners. Mm -hmm. um, people that don't fit into that and that still get attracted to us, I have sent a number to trusted folks that deal with individuals that are not going to be in our sweet spot, but they're going to be still taken care of. Mm -hmm. You know, we still want to form great relationships and I don't get a dime coming back. I don't want a dime from some uh, referral like that. Yeah. I'm happy to do it. I just want to make sure people are taken care of. But when you know what your sweet spot is, because um, there are lots of financial advisors out there, no ding, but they'll take anybody that's breathing that has some money mm -hmm. and and that may be fine. They may be great at, at that, but I like having a, a narrow and laser focus to where you know what you know and you know what you don't know. Right. <laughs> and so anyway, so, and so I also think it's cool that I'm really excited that, that you are an owner from the get-go, yep. not an employee of the machine. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I've seen that in other firms where, you know, hey, it's just another revenue stream for the firm. That was never our heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned advisors just taking on anybody, which is the norm. And, right. and that's okay because people, they feel like they've got to make money, so they're going to take right. on anybody they can. That'll increase their revenue. Um, but there are certain people that you can serve best. And if you know what that is and you create your niche, and this is, again, for any business, it's not financial planning or wealth management, it's for any industry. If you figure out your niche and you figure out their pain points, yeah. you're going to have an infinitely better business. And so if you're willing to actually give up money or revenue by yeah. bringing on a new client or a new customer or whatever you're doing in order to stay true to the way you're serving people, the, the end result is going to be you're going to be happier. You're going to have a more healthy business. And it's... Um, I don't know if you remember Jeffrey Gittimer when he was on yeah. uh, before we started recording asked uh, he said I don't remember exactly how he worded it but basically like Ben what's your superpower right what, yeah. what do you word world yeah. class at I think he said and and for me it's problem solving yeah so anybody in this industry can open up an account and pick yeah. some mutual funds or something and just put them in there right um, the pie chart yeah right exactly allocation they're computer <laughs> systems to do that now right um, so one of the things about BGW, serving more complex, complicated situations, clients, things like that, those are the people I can serve. And those are the people yeah. the company I'm creating can serve because now we're solving problems. We're not just taking on anybody and just investing. Yeah. We're, we're really figuring out the pain points of our clients. We're creating complex solutions to complex problems. And, and that's, that's my alley, right? That's what I'm good at. I, I think I'd get bored if I just... Yeah, was was opening up an account and just sticking some investments in there and just letting it cruise. I I'd uh, I'd lose interest pretty quick. Well, I think about that too. 
because I would have never imagined I'd be at a CPA firm. Right. I mean, right. I don't. I wouldn't fit in most of them. I, really I was, wouldn't. I was a college basketball coach right. six years ago. I certainly didn't think so. No. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is, is um, when I look at it, I think um, tax strategies and. Um, you know, audits or helping with their bookkeeping and accounting, uh, those are tools, but the heartbeat is we like seeing businesses grow. Mm-hmm. We like, and this is not a marketing thing, this is true. We love helping people save money, make money, stay out of trouble, yeah. and have fun. Yeah, yeah, you hit on a great point because it's not, most people get caught up in their business of what they do. Yeah. But really that's not that's not the thing at all, right? You just said what you do. Right. Like the tax strategy or for me the wealth management strategy. It's a tool. That's, that's the tool. Exactly. And as soon as business owners and leaders start looking at their company that way of the yeah. the problems they're solving, the people they're serving, and then what they're doing is simply the tool, it's going it's going to revolutionize their business. Yeah. I agree. I mean, you mentioned uh, Michelle Bulow and Bella Tuna, yeah, right? Which is what a cool or Tuno, <laughs> yeah. But what a cool business, and it wasn't baby products that was her passion. Mm-hmm. They're really good at it. Yeah, it's just the vehicle that has, they found that they actually resonated with, and they were able to connect with people and make a difference. Yeah, one hundred percent. What a cool thing. What yeah. a great way to live. Yeah, that's that's living outside the box. Right. right. You're you're viewing things in such a different light at that point. Yeah, you know, so as we think about it, if you were talking for every entrepreneur out there that needs encouragement or anybody that's thinking about gosh, you know, I just being a cog in the wheel, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. What would be uh, you know, a lesson learned or something for them to think about that has stuck with you through thick and thin? Last August, again, I don't know if you know this story either. Last August, it was getting to the point where we were getting pretty serious about the BGW Wealth conversation, right? right? right. The three of us were talking, and we we're starting to get a little bit specific. Yeah. And at the same time, there was, I don't remember the name of it, but some meteor shower that was going on. And so I went up to the mountains by myself for three or four days in a cabin and did no work, didn't talk to people, did basically nothing. I was just there by myself in my thoughts, like reading and writing and hiking and then Mm. watching the meteor shower at night. And that gave me the time to step out of the hectic day to day Mm. and really figure out what's most important to me. And nobody takes that time yeah. to disconnect. Yeah. And so you, you're always, you're in the same train of thought every day of how do I make the next sale? Um, how do I figure out some issue with, a, with a, a customer or with an employee or whatever it is? So for people that are struggling, they're in that cog. It's quite often because they haven't taken the time to figure out what they actually want things to look like. So yeah. I was, I remember being out there and... I was on the hike when I had the biggest breakthrough of um, like the give back to generational poverty was one of them. And then also the structure of how we could make it, how we could make it work. And it was because Mm. I was by myself in, for me, it it works to be out in nature. Yeah. 
but everybody's going to be different, right? Yeah. Like you can go to a float tank in South Charlotte if you want to. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Whatever works for you. But yeah, people need to disconnect and they need to figure out what success looks like for them, instead of what have they always been told success should look like. Man, say that again because that <laughs> that's gold. Yeah. People need to figure out what success looks like for them instead of just buying into what they've always been told success should look like. Man, that's, that's really rich. Um, I don't even know. Gosh, yeah. Looks like we're, uh, we're at coming the hour up point. right at yeah. the hour, which is perfect. Um, how do you want people to connect with you? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, LinkedIn uh, is is probably a good one. We can put the links in for all of this, but LinkedIn, Instagram, they're both Ben McDonald, NC, North Carolina. Um, BGWwealth.com, um, they can go there and, and we're starting to, to add more info to it, but that's a good spot. I know Trust BGW if they want to check out the CPA side of it. Yeah. Um, those are a, good, a few good ways. Um, but I mean, if you go on my LinkedIn, my email's on there, my phone number's on there, all that. So, so that'd, yeah. be, that'd be probably the best way to go. All right, perfect. Ben, it is an honor to know you. I'm you so too. glad that you reached out to me a few years ago so I could be on your podcast. I'm, what was the name of that podcast? Success Defined. And there it's because, so the thing I just said of, of figuring out your definition of success, that's why I named it Success Defined. And I asked that question to every single guest was, how do you define success? Mm -hmm. So again, being selfish and asking <laughs> questions I was interested in. <laughs> But uh, but no, I mean we've we've come a long ways in uh, in three years from being strangers to yeah. running a business together and running a podcast together for a year. That's been been taken off and doing great. So yeah, it's fun. It's and it really is fun to tell the story or give a platform for others to tell their story. Mm -hmm. Really, that's yep. that's what I really enjoy so much because I find people fascinating, and that's what I've really enjoyed about this with you. To hear more of your story because I've heard parts of your story but I learned new stuff again today right. <laughs> which is really fun so thank you again uh, for anybody listening uh, do check out Ben McDonald on LinkedIn and uh, thank you for listening thanks Gary <laughs>